Hey, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I should say turn with me again. This is four weeks we've been in this chapter, but God has blessed it. Unless God does something crazy, we're going to finish it this morning. And where do we go from here? Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh Dugan is going to be with us next week um, for Father's Day. He's going to be sharing a message from the Gospel of Matthew. And then we are right back into 2 Thessalonians because Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians right on the heels of 1 Thessalonians. Weeks, maybe months after. It could have been days for all we know, probably weeks. After that short three-chapter book, we're going to be back touching down in the book of Acts for just a moment chapter and a half. We're going we're gonna to reinsert in the middle of chapter 18 where we left Paul in Corinth. It's in Corinth that Paul is writing this letter back to the Thessalonian church. So we're going to catch up with Paul in Corinth. We're going to watch him finish his ministry there. We're going to travel with him back to Antioch, ending his second missionary journey. And then he's going to go out to Ephesus in Acts 19, beginning his third missionary journey. After that, will be in 1 Corinthians, because it's from Ephesus that Paul writes back to the Corinthian church. Right now, Paul is in Corinth. He's writing back to the Thessalonian church. He's going to get to Ephesus and write back to the Corinthian church. So every time I try to schedule stuff and plan stuff, God laughs. But I think that 2 Thessalonians and Acts will take us through the summer, at least through through through. Yeah, it's almost the end of June, for crying out loud. Wow. Um, yeah, it'll take us through the summer. And uh, then in the fall, we'll be in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Unless we get raptured and we all go home. It would be okay with that. It's, it's interesting. I was at the Servants Conference that Pastor Joe put on at Calvary Wellington uh, yesterday. Uh, Joe and Brad Bowen and... Who else? Ryan Nichols and Steve Bliss and myself shared the teaching. We taught through the book of Galatians. And, and, and not as part of any of the teaching, but just in between speakers, just kind of talking about stuff. Joe pointed out something interesting. He, he, he said, you know, isn't it interesting that in the span of just a few months, we've had a, a global pandemic, a stock market crash, and now we have civil rights activism going on. After the Spanish flu pandemic in, in 1918, um, there was a revival. And after the stock market crash in 29, there was a revival. And our own movement, the Calvary movement, came out of the Jesus movement, which followed all of the protests and all of the everything of the 60s. So if God brought revival after each of those three events individually, couldn't it be possible that God is going to bring revival once more when we're seeing all of those things collectively at the same time? I, I, I hope so. I think it's entirely within God's character, consistent with God's character, that he would bring revival once again before he returns for his bride. There, there's no question. There's no question our nation is ripe for judgment. And the answers to our nation's problems aren't going to be found in the, in the, in the ballot box, in the voting booth. But, but maybe, just maybe, they'll be found in the prayer closet. If, 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 if God hears our prayer and sends his spirit and breathes revival over our land once again. I don't know. I just hope. And I pray. Which is the subject of, of, of our message today. It's the, the theme that we're going to be following as we wrap up our time in First Thessalonians. And, and I hope, I was talking to somebody after first service, I hope it's been a, a fraction as precious for you as it has been for me. I've taught First Thessalonians a couple times before, never this way. Never with the emphasis on the, on, the, on the things that the Lord has been showing us as, as we've made this track together, but we've never lived in these times before. This is, this is a unique season, and, and I think that God ordained this book, at least for this church, very specifically, to speak very precise things to us, to encourage us. I know it's encouraged me. So we are here at the end of 1 Thessalonians, and we didn't leave ourselves much. But let's, leave, let's read what we have left. We left off in verse 24 
where, where Paul, having talked to the church about what it is to be the church, reminded the church that God is able to will and do in us for his good pleasure. He, verse 24, who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Do everything that Paul had been talking to them about. Being, being prayerful and thoughtful and, and, and all of the other fulls that we talked about last week. So this week we read in verse 25, brethren, pray for us. Brethren, brothers and sisters, we're still part of each other. We're part of you. You're part of us. Pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss because we're separated by geography, but we're still family. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. This isn't just for the, the leaders of the church. This is for the church. This is for everybody because we're, we're all family together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be with all of you, Paul writes. Amen. Told you we didn't leave much. Lord, uh, as, we, as we unpack these, these few verses, rich, dripping with, with meaning and I think importance to us, would you speak to us? Would, would you, by the power of your spirit, minister to us? Encourage us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So I caught a little bit of a rebuke last week after my message. A gentle rebuke. Rebuke is probably even too strong. Exhortation. Person, person spoke to me after, actually a couple days after service, and said, you know, I, I like the message. The one bone I have to pick, I don't think you should have soft-pedaled what Paul had to say about the relationship between the church and her pastor. And, and the person was referring to, to the beginning of the passage we tackled last week, starting in verse 12. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And, and, and they, they were right. I, I probably did kind of once over lightly those couple of verses because it's just awkward, you know? You, you, you read Paul write, you know, love your pastors and, and esteem them highly. Do you hear that, church? You're supposed to esteem me. <laughs> Recognize me, love me. <laughs> I'm working here. <laughs> I mean, ick, right? I mean, it, 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 I, I'll, I'll admit, I feel awkward when I come to verses like that. And I felt better yesterday being down at that conference and, and realizing that it's not just me. Because, because Pastor Joe is teaching. And just context, if you don't know Joe Crowley, 75 years old, he's been pastoring in Ark City since 1974. Well, Ark City, and then he moved to Wellington. He's been pastoring in Kansas since 1974. For, for context, for perspective, when, when, when God called Pastor Chuck to, to begin planting churches, he'd been at Big Calvary, Calvary Costa Mesa, for a couple years, and God was doing amazing things, and, and God burdened him to, to send out some of the men that he'd been discipling. The, First two guys that he sent out were Mike McIntosh and Greg Laurie. You've probably heard of them. The third person to go out from Calvary was Joe Crowley. In 1974, came to Ark City, Kansas, and has been pastoring in, in Kansas ever since. So, so here's a guy who's been doing this for, I don't know, do the math, 45 years. <laughs> he gets to Galatians 6, and, and he's almost stammering. He gets to Galatians 6, 6. And, and, he, and he says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. You know, it's another, hey guys, take care of your pastor kind of verse. And, and he actually said, he said, normally when I'm teaching this passage, I just tell people to read verse 6 for themselves. Because I don't want to touch it. <laughs> I, just, I just skip it. And, and, and so I look at Joe. You know, my, my elder brother in the Lord, and I, and I, and I, and I you know, watch myself struggle. And, and then I read verse 12 where, where Paul says, hey, love your pastors and esteem your pastors. And, and, I, and I think, man, Paul says that so easily. It rolls off of his tongue so, so flowingly. There's no self-consciousness there. Then I realized Paul wasn't their pastor when he wrote that. He had been their pastor. He planted the, the, the work there, the Thessalonian church, but he wasn't currently. And I think that made a difference. 
I think he was saying, hey, I'm not there anymore, but love the guys who still are. So when I'm not here anymore, love the guys who are. <laughs> when I'm not here next week, love Josh. <laughs> but, you know, kidding aside, that, that the person was right. I, I really owe it to you and to the Lord to, to not once over lightly verses like that. I mean, unless God says so. You know, sometimes God will say, yeah, don't emphasize this. Emphasize this over here. But if the Lord doesn't say so, hey, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, it's part of God's word. He's given it to us to instruct us. I, I need to teach it like I teach any other part of God's word. Because the thing is, I might not be the last pastor that you ever sit under. I might not be the last pastor here. I don't always look both ways when I cross the street. <laughs> or God might call you to, to be part of another work somewhere. And even right now, I'm not the only pastor or elder here. You know, there's, there's James and Rob and Juan and, and our, 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 English is my first language. Elders like Denny and Bud and Mike and Alan and Jim Bob and Dade. And, and anytime I start listing people, I'm worried that I'm going to leave somebody out. So if I did and I do, forgive me. And I, I don't have any problem saying, hey, esteem those brothers and, and their families, their wives, esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. And, and I, I need to say that more often. And you know, when talking about those who labor among you, I'm, I'm, I'm overdue to, to, to publicly thank the group of people that came together during the, the shutdown when all of a sudden we had to move everything online. Man, Ann and, and Ben and Michaela and Becky and Hector and Grayson and the Smiths and the, the Gomez's and, and a lot of those elders that I've already named. And, I mean, a group of people pulled together and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to shift everything online. We've never done this before, and we don't know what this looks like. But by God's grace, we, we, we did it. And, and then there's a group of people that have jumped in since we've reopened. Y you may have noticed, you maybe haven't, but, but we haven't been working an usher schedule or a children's church schedule or a worship schedule. We've, we've had a group of about 30 people then, and in and any given week, 20, 25 of them are available, and we kind of look at that pool of 20 people, and, and it's like a, a, a baseball coach putting together the starting lineup. Okay, you're going to play worship, and you're going to play audio, and you're going to play children's, and you're going to play hospitality. And, and, I mean, we've had people playing wildly out of position, but it's just it's been easier to do it that way because things have been so, so dynamic, so turbulent. I think, I think in a couple weeks, I think starting in July, actually, we'll, Lord willing, go back to some version of business as usual with each ministry kind of scheduling its, its, its own servants. We, we could probably do it on the 28th, but it's the end of the month, and let's just start in July because that'll be clean. And, and one of the things we usually do in July, as long as I'm talking about it, is we usually do a servants picnic for, for anyone serving at the church in any capacity. We're going to push that off until Labor Day. And the reason for that is that there are some people who are you know, very much part of the fabric of this church that, that right now, because COVID is still COVID, can't be with us physically. And that's a, that's a good and wise decision for them. So let's push it off until Labor Day and, and, and hope that that's different. But what we can do and what I want to do, and, and Lord willing, what we will do is on July the 5th, that's a Sunday, so 4th of July weekend, July the 5th, after church, we'll, we'll grill out under the pavilion and we'll have an all-church fellowship event. Because it's been like forever since we've done that. And I think we need that. We'll, we'll, we won't do it potluck, we'll do it cafeteria style, you know, health and wellness and, and so on, but we'll, we'll celebrate. But there's another really important group of people that I didn't point at in everything that I just said. That's also way worth recognizing. And they're the people who have been faithfully heeding Paul's request, really his instruction to us in verse 25. The people who, who have been praying for Calvary and, and everyone who is Calvary. The people who read verse 25, brethren, pray for us, and they say, okay, you got it, I'm on it. And I've been storming God's throne of grace on behalf of his work here. You know, Paul's, Paul's great at anticipating objections. 
That's, that's, a, that's a sales term, and, and, and if, if it has icky connotations for you, I apologize. But, but it's really what he does. He writes these letters, and in the process of writing those letters, he, he thinks about, okay, what is somebody going to say in response to what I'm saying? I'm going to say this, and I know because I know them a little bit that they're going to come back and wonder about this. So, so he answers the question he knows his letter is going to provoke in the letter. And then, and then sometimes he has to write another letter because there's questions that he didn't anticipate. But he, but, but he, but he says, hey, I know what you're going to ask, and here's my answer before you even ask it. Well, back in verses 12 and 13, Paul says, love your pastors and elders. Serve them as they serve you. Help, help you know, they help care for your soul and they help meet your needs. Help care for their soul and, and minister to them and their needs. So, so Paul knows a logical question, an obvious question that someone reading that will ask was, well, Paul, you're a pastor and we love you. How can, how can we serve you? We, we, we read what you're saying to us and how do we apply that to, to your relationship with us and, and ours to you? And I think verse 25 is a lot of his answer. How can you love me, Paul says? Pray for me and the people serving with me. Now, there's a lot of times when, when you guys, when, when you and people like you say, well, Patrick, how, how, can I, how can I serve you? How can I love you? What do you need? That, that, I, that I, 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 give, I give a Jesus juke. I learned, I learned that from one of the interns we had a couple years ago. He came out from California. And, and the first time that he asked the question and I gave kind of a, a hyper-spiritual answer, he said, oh, nice Jesus juke. You know, duck out of the way, sound all hyper-spiritual. Oh, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I, like Jesus, have no need. I just merely, yeah. <laughs> Pride much? Because that's what it is. Joe, Joe, Pastor Joe called me on this yesterday. Not just me, whole room full of people, but it might as well have just been gift wrap for me. <laughs> because he said, what are you saying, church? When you don't let people love you, what are you saying when people offer to serve, offer to love, even ask how can they pray, and you say, oh, I'm good. I'm good. Pray, pray for someone. Pray for people who need it. <laughs> what you're saying, what I'm saying, is I'm better than they are. I'm no mere mortal. I'm a super saint who doesn't need the body of Christ. And I got to wondering if, if the reason it's so hard for so many of you to let people pray for you or to allow people to minister to you, I got to wondering if the reason that some of you get like this when, when someone offers to love you is that I do such a bad job of modeling it. Forgive me for that. Uh, and I mean that. I'm going to try to do better. The thing is, though, when, when Paul says, brethren, pray for us, verse 25, he's not doing what, what a lot of times I do. How can I love you, Patrick? Just pray for me. What do you need prayer for? Just that I would know and do God's will. That, 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 that's not Paul. Paul's not doing the, the, the Jesus juke thing. Paul's dead dog serious. Paul's saying, hey, you want to love me, serve me, get behind me in my ministry? Pray for me. Passionately, consistently, specifically intercede for me with God. Because Paul believed in the power of prayer. We've seen it all through this letter. I don't know why I keep closing the Bible, because I'm just going to need it again. But, but go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Chapter 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of men, and, and, and so on. Verse verse. Uh, Verse 9 of chapter 3. 
What thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God night and day and praying exceedingly that we might see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And I love this one because Paul goes from talking about prayer to praying. He, he, he says, I pray for you all the time. And, and, and let me give you an example. Verse, verse 14 Sorry, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you so that he might establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. He doesn't say amen, but, but, but you might as well. Because he's talking about prayer and then he just bursts into prayer. And then, of course, in chapter 5 last week, we saw Paul tell the church, pray without ceasing. Pray for each other all the time. Make it your lifestyle. Make it your habit. Paul is saying, hey, I, I pray for you constantly. And, and I've encouraged you to pray for each other constantly. How can you love me? Do the same thing. Pray for me constantly. And notice what Paul is doing in, in asking that. He's not, he's not setting himself up on a pedestal. He's not putting himself in a different category than everyone else. He's not defining some, some barrier, some differentiation between clergy and laity. How can you love me? You can't, not really, you're not worthy. But you may bow your head and approach me, kneel down and kiss my ring. No. Paul's doing the opposite of that how can you love me love me the way that i love you love me the way you love each other don't treat me differently because i'm paul the apostle the preacher teacher church planner guy love me like a brother love me the best way that any of us can love anybody pray for me and 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 you know that's 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 it's paul's request but elsewhere, he makes it clear. It's, it's also a commandment. It's an instruction. A few verses earlier when he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Those are instructions for the church. Those are rules for godly living. And he, and he repeats it elsewhere. Ephesians 6.18, be praying always, he says. And this isn't Paul being all, you know, Paul. He's just echoing Jesus. Jesus, who said to the disciples, pray. And when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven and so forth. The form, the model of prayer that, that, that Jesus gave them. He said, when you pray, this is how you pray. But his assumption is that they would obey him and pray. And the early church did, all through the book of Acts. We see the early church consistently praying and God answering with power. And Paul said, okay, Jesus taught it. The apostles live it. I'm going to teach it. And as he went to the outermost parts, church planting, that was part of what he taught them. He said, pray and read the word and commit yourselves to worship and devote yourselves to fellowship and make it a habit to share your faith. And use your gifts to serve the Lord. All of those things we'd call the, the, the fundamental elements of Christian life. Things we don't emphasize in the church quite the way that we used to. And I think, I think there's a clue in why we don't emphasize them in the way that I just described them. I said the fundamental elements of Christian life. The church in America, and I'm not making a huge generalization, but I think it's a valid one, has, has developed a distaste for that word fundamentalist. And just so we're clear, you are one, by the way, I hope. I mean, you, might, you may not even realize it because you're, you're, you've been so programmed to recoil against that word, but, but I think that most of us here believe that the Christian life is built on those fundamental building blocks I just described, especially God's word, which we regard as inspired and infallible, true and authoritative. But see, in our mind, the word fundamentalist, 
whatever its definition has taken on a negative connotation, for a lot of us, fundamentalist is a synonym for legalist. And none of us want to be that. <laughs> for good reason. Here's the irony. Because we are fundamentalists, we don't want to be legalists. Because we read books like the book of Galatians. We went through it as a church a few months ago. And Paul spends most of the letter warning about the dangers of legalism. Warning about the dangers of, of preaching and teaching. You have to do this. You can't do that. You should always do this and never do that if you want God to love you. If you don't stay between these lines, oh, God might not love you anymore. And that was the whole book of Galatians, right? The dangers of legalism and the beauty of grace. And so we fall all over ourselves not to give the impression, if you don't pray for six hours a day and at least three of them on your knees, having fasted beforehand and afterward, God won't love you. It's not true. But more importantly, it's not grace. We know, I hope, there's nothing, nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. And there's nothing we can do, not anything, that would cause God to love us any less. That's grace. And we're passionate about grace. And we should be. We get to be. Man, I hope you celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ every day. But because we are so passionate about grace, it's easy, and I'm guilty of this, to, to get sheepish about exhorting people in these areas, exhorting people to prayer and to reading and to sharing their faith and, and giving and serving and not neglecting the fellowship. Because we don't want to put people on some legalistic trip. Uh, somebody, somebody, somebody said to me this week, you know, as, as people are starting to come back to church, we need to keep our online platform active we need to keep improving it that needs to be a priority because there are some people that need to be worshiping at home for a variety of reasons a lot of which but not all of which are health but the person said to me but what about the people who have just gotten used to going to church in their jammies <laughs> and kind of like sitting on the couch in their pajamas with a big old cup of coffee and their feet up and their bunny slippers and 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 i said oh I don't know that I want to take that head on. I don't want to get all legalistic with people. I don't want to put people on some kind of trip. And, and, I, and I realize that I think about that a lot. Because I, I don't want people to feel condemned if, if they don't read their Bible a certain amount or if they don't share the gospel with every waitress or cashier they encounter. Or if they stay home because they're sick, or if they don't serve in ministry here because they're in a season of life where their, their ministry is, is, is their family. And, and I don't apologize for that. We, we need to, to not only guard our hearts, but one another's hearts against getting caught up in legalism because, as, as Paul says again and again in Galatians, our flesh is drawn to it. And the enemy encourages it. So, so don't hear what I'm going to say next as disagreeing with what you've heard me say before and what I said just now, okay? Deal? Okay? Not getting on some legalistic trip is important. How should I pray? What should my devotional life look like? As the Lord leads is the right answer. Here's the thing. A lot of times, I'm going to say too often, when we say as the Lord leads, it kind of morphs into as my laziness allows. And it's not hard to see how that happens. As the Lord leads, knowing that requires that we do what? Pray. If I don't pray, I'm not going to know how the Lord leads. But if I want to, you know, I'm not going to get on a whole trip about prayer and I'm not going to pray just because somebody tells me to pray. I'm just going to, you know, do as the Lord leads. 
okay, if I'm avoiding prayer in the name of legalism, pretty soon I'm just going to be avoiding prayer. Example. This is, this, is, this is years ago. This is back in New Jersey. I was asking someone to serve in a ministry, and I can't even remember what it was. But probably children's church, but, but whatever. I don't, I don't remember. I, I said, hey, would you, would you be willing to serve in, in, in this ministry? And I, I don't remember the ministry, but I remember their answer. I remember their answer so clearly. He said, I don't feel led to pray about that. How do you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you, I don't feel led of the Lord is, is that, you know, I don't feel led as shorthand for I don't feel like the Lord is leading me to. Okay, that's fine. Hey, praise Jesus. But how do you know if you don't pray? I don't feel led to pray, but how are you going to know if you, you see where I'm going? We have a healthy fear, I think is the right word, of legalism. We have a healthy zeal for grace. And both of those things are good. But see, our, our misapplication is the right word. Our misapplication of grace can take us from childlike faith to childish faith. Faith that, that, that doesn't want to work that isn't diligent, that doesn't pursue the things of God, and so remains immature. Example. As a young believer, I had some older brothers in the Lord that said, hey, if you want to grow in the Lord, you got to get on a Bible reading plan. And, and I looked at a few, and I think I ended up on, on our Murray McShane's reading plan, which is a great one. It's a passage from the Old Testament, passage from the New Testament, Proverbs, Psalms every day. And they said, that's a, that's a great plan. If you want to grow in Christ, follow that plan. And, and if you follow that plan, you're going to grow in Christ. And if you really want to grow in Christ, add some Bible memorization to it. So I did. And I grew. But after a few years, I reached a point where I realized my, my reading, my time in the Word had changed a little bit. And I wasn't reading so much to meet with God in His Word anymore as I was reading to finish my reading. You probably have experienced that at some point. I'm not reading to meet with the Lord. I'm just reading to check the box. And so I went back to my older brothers and the Lord, and they counseled me, take smaller bites. I mean, the Bible reading plan is, is, is great, but it, it, it's a, it should be your slave, not your master. You know, don't serve the plan. Let the plan serve you. And if it doesn't serve you, throw it away and then and, and, and find something where you're taking smaller bites. Don't get all legalistic about a chapter a day or this many. Just, just read and pray and savor, meditate on it. And you know that word is, is, is the same word as a cow chewing its cud. You know, just really chew on what God gives you. And, and, and keep chewing until you've heard from God that day. Which, which was also good advice. Except that there's no good counsel that my flesh can't pervert. And what my flesh heard was, take smaller bites. Oh, good, then I can get through my daily reading time, my daily devotional time a lot faster because I'll be taking a shorter passage. And the intention was, no, take the same amount of time, just reallocate the time to, from reading the Word to meditating on the Word and meeting with God in His Word. And what I read was just read less. And then close your Bible and get on with your day. I stopped growing. I mean, at least I stopped growing as quickly. I'm not taking back anything that you've ever heard me say. You've heard me say, and I stand by this, five minutes with the Lord and his word is a thousand times better than, than no time. If you have five minutes a day, take that five minutes a day because a thousand, ten thousand times better than no time. Don't get all hung up. Well, if I don't have 45 minutes, then, then I might as well spend no time. That's what Satan wants you to believe. If you have five minutes, give the Lord that five minutes. I've said that. It's true. But, but here's maybe what I haven't said or I haven't said enough. Yeah, five minutes a day is 10,000 times better than no minutes, but 15 minutes a day is 10,000 times better than five minutes. And 50 minutes a day is 10,000 times better than 15 minutes. Don't get hung up on the math. You see the point I'm making. <laughs> Prayer. It's okay to pray simply. 
When we get together on Wednesday, we've got a, a night set aside for prayer and worship. One of the things that I'm going to say in introducing the evening is, hey, pray sentences, not paragraphs. <laughs> the, the thing that I don't say often enough, it's okay to have more than one sentence. You know, when we're coming together, we want to we share the bandwidth. We, we want to we uh, take turns and allow other people to pray, but... It's okay to have more than one thing to pray for, especially when you're alone. Yes, yeah, simple is good. Calvary Chapel, simply teaching God's word simply. But that doesn't mean that laboring in prayer before the Lord is bad. And I'm certain that's what Paul had in mind when he said in verse 25, brethren, pray for us. I, think, I don't think he was saying, you know, every once in a while, if... If, if you think of it, if you run across something that reminds me of you, I think he was saying, would you labor in prayer for us? Would you spend time before God's throne on your knees on our behalf? Would you be diligent? Would you remember to remember us in prayer? You know, talked last week, and, and, I, and I think a couple of weeks before that about verse 17, the, the, the pray without ceasing. And I, and I said, because it's the kind of thing that I say, don't get all hung up and don't get legalistic about this. Paul's not talking about continual, ongoing, unceasing prayer. He's talking about a lifestyle of prayer. And, and that's true. Talked about, about the, the analogy of a hacking cough. You know, when, it, when you're getting over a cold or when it's hay fever season. And at any given time, you might just, just go on a coughing jag. And someone said, well, do you think that was the best metaphor to use given that one of the symptoms of coronavirus is, you know, the... <laughs> I, I'm awkward, you know, just, it's what you get with me. <laughs> but I think that Paul meant more than that. Yeah, I think that he welcomed the, the interwoven through the day when you think of it casual prayer. You know, have you heard anything from Paul? No, have you? No. But, you know, we should pray for him. Yeah, you start, I'll finish. Lord, whatever Paul is doing right now and whoever he's with, would you meet him and anoint him and bless him and fill him with your grace and use him for your kingdom? Amen. I think that's included in what he was asking for. I think, I think he welcomed all of the, the, hey, the Lord brought you to my remembrance and I just stopped, dropped, and prayed right where I was kind of prayers. And I think that that should be part of our own practice of prayer. I think that, that, that that's valuable. And instead of saying, oh, I'll pray for you, pray for them. <laughs> There's people who are in this church today because they had that experience. They came here and they were talking to an usher or an elder or somebody with a donut about something that was going on and that person stopped where they were and said, well, let's pray right now. And there are families that are part of this church because they said, that's the kind of family that I want to be part of. I want to be a part of a church that prays. What we got to get past is it's not an either or, or thing. It's, it's not just, well, I'll pray for you later or I'll pray for you now. How about I'll pray for you now and I'll pray for you later? I think that's what Paul was asking for. You know, the spontaneous kinds of prayers that we, we see all through his letters. Flip over to, 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 to uh, 1 Timothy. Just, just go two, two books to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 14, 1 Timothy 3, 14. These things I write you, says Paul, I, I hope to come to you, but if I'm delayed, I, I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And man, now that I'm thinking about it, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then he just bursts into prayer. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. It's like Paul just starts worshiping. And he does that a lot in his letters. And we should do that a lot in our lives. Paul does it all the time, and, and I think that he's hoping that the people that he's, he's met along the way, the people that he's discipled along the way, would also do that all the time. And that, and that some of those times it would be for him. But I'm also convinced that Paul meant more than that. Why, Patrick? Because any other time Paul talks about a spiritual discipline, he talks in terms of discipline when we get to corinthians in the fall first and second corinthians both paul talks about giving 
And, and, and the things that he's going to tell us about giving, he's going to say, hey, be prayerful, be proportionate. Our giving should be proportionate to our income. And he's going to say, be planful. Don't, don't, don't just let it be a spontaneous thing. Be planful and purposeful about it. When he talks to Timothy about serving, he's going to be, hey, be, he's going to say, be diligent to stir up the gift that's within you. Cultivate your gifting, he says to Timothy. He also says to Timothy, give yourself to the reading of God's word. Disciplines. Planned, structured things. Not, and, 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 and some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, can't you just, it sounds like you want to plan the Holy Spirit out of all of those things. No, the opposite of that. You've heard me say before that, that, that I, I, I continue to believe that's a false dichotomy. I can be planful and spirit-led. The Lord can lead me through his spirit in my planning. And yeah, the Lord can override the plans in the moment, but he's less likely to do that if I invite him into the plans when the planning is being planned. I don't, I, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm impulsive, I can just, you know, thus saith the Lord over, over my ideas, oh, the Spirit led me to do this, and find out later, no, God didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> that was my flesh dressed up in fancy clothes. <laughs> you know, Paul talks about, uh, about a believer's life as, 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 as being orderly and structured. 2 Timothy 2 he compares the believer to three things, a farmer, a soldier, and an athlete. What do those three vocations have in common? Discipline, structure, training, a regiment. Spirit-led, sure. Not man-made, but structured. Not legalism, but also not laziness. I'm convinced Paul had a planned out, structured prayer life based on how he talks about other spiritual disciplines. Also based on the sheer number of things that Paul tells us that he prays for. I think Paul had lists. I mean, in this letter alone, Paul, Paul says, I am specifically, concretely, regularly praying for you, the people in the church, by name. But, but this isn't the only church that Paul knows at this point. First mission strip, he was planting churches in Galatia, Derby, Lystra. Before that, he was at the church in Jerusalem a couple, three times. He spent 10 years in Tarsus. He spent a couple years in Antioch. And before he, 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 he got to Corinth, he was in Philippi, he was in Berea, he was in Athens. I don't think he loves the Thessalonians more than he loves the people in all of those other places. I think he's praying for all of those churches, all of those ministries. And I think he's praying for the apostles. He's met a few of them at least. I think he's still praying for Barnabas and John Mark. They parted, but, but I know that Paul still loved them. And, and we could go on and on. You know, there's stuff that we're all called to pray for. We're called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, every one of us. We're called to pray for our leaders. Jesus tells us to pray for the persecuted church. He also tells us, wait for it, pray for your enemies. And then there's, there's the things that we can't help but pray for, our family, our friends, our own ministries. I, I don't see any way that we can be diligent, that we can pretend to be diligent, praying for all of the things that we're called to pray for, and just trust that the names and the faces and the situations are going to pop into our minds. No, I think we've got to bring some organization to it. I think we've got to set aside some time, day over day, week over week, so that we don't neglect God's call in our lives to pray. I, I don't know how Paul kept track of it all. I mean, did he have a list? I, I think he did. I do. I've, I've, got, I've got lists, and then I've got a list of all my lists. <laughs> Paul might have had everything written down in scrolls, Paul also had a phenomenal mind. It's possible that he just kept track of all of it. I can imagine maybe Paul just retracing his steps and, and, and saying, oh, Jesus, thank you for, for meeting me on the road to Damascus. And, and, and Lord, I pray for the people that I was pursuing, those people I was persecuting, the people that I already had persecuted by that point. 
And thank you for Ananias who, who led me to Jerusalem. And I pray that you continue to bless him, Lord. And, 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 and all of your, your believers, all of the church in, in Jerusalem. And Lord, I pray for my enemies. I pray for those that were my allies that, that, that now spitefully hate me in Jerusalem. I pray for those that, that drove me out of Jerusalem, that they'd come to a saving knowledge of you. And, I, and Lord, I pray for those who helped me escape Jerusalem and those who got me to Tarsus. Lord, I thank you for, for everyone I met at Tarsus, everyone I was able to share your gospel. And I thank you for those who received your love. And I thank you for those who are still pondering it. Lord, would you soften their heart? And, and Lord, thank you for Barnabas who came and, and brought me from, from Tarsus to Antioch. And, and Lord, for the, the Gentiles, thank you for bringing your, your word to the Gentiles. And thank you, Lord, for softening my heart that, that I would have a passion for the Gentiles. Um, Lord, I pray for the other elders there in Antioch, for Simeon, for Lucius. Uh, I pray for John Mark. And, 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 and it's, you know, he could just kind of keep going, retracing his steps and praying for, for whoever, you know, occurred to him as he, as he kind of st structured his prayer chronologically. But, but see, here, here's the thing. He prayed. He prayed because he believed that prayer changes things. You know, you ask people, why do we pray? And you'll get a lot of answers. And one of the answers that you'll get is, well, I know prayer changes things. It changes me. And that's, that's not, not true. Isn't it, isn't it, haven't you found it to be the case that when you pray, you're restored to a right understanding of your relationship with God? When you pray, really pray, God reminds you that, that it, it's him who, who works in us for his good pleasure. That, that, that we pray by faith, but he's the object of our faith. And the things that happen, the outworking of our faith, are the things that, that, that God does. So yeah, prayer changes me. It realigns my heart. It, it gets my internal gyroscope back in, in line. But you cannot read the Bible and not know that prayer changes more than the person praying. Prayer changes people around us. There are things that God chooses not to do unless people pray. There are things that God chooses not to do until people pray. And I think that part of Paul's ask here is he didn't want his ministry impeded by prayerlessness. been thinking about this a lot lately because I've had this conviction for years that no one comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ apart from the prayer of, of the saints. Can't prove it. I've, I've tried to prove it. I can't prove it biblically. I just have never met a counterexample. And every time someone says, yeah, I came to Christ, none of, no one would ever prayed for me. None of my families were believers. Family was believers. My friends weren't believers. There's, there's, there's always an asterisk that comes up later. My favorite one is the person who was sure that no one had ever prayed for him ever until he got married and found out that his wife and her parents had been praying for him since she was a little girl. At, at family devotions, they would pray for her future husband and pray, Lord, whoever he is, you know, if he doesn't already know you, would you bring him to saving faith in you by your grace? And, 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 and with that conviction, I, I'm more and more convinced that we don't, we don't know how much ministry depends on the prayer of the saints. We don't know how much God is waiting to do until we, through prayer, unleash that power. I think Paul knew his ministry would be less effectual, less powerful, less fruitful without the prayers of the saints alongside him. Brothers, pray for us. Be the church. Be the church. Love and be loved. Serve and be served. Pray and be prayed for. Not, not like a quid pro quo thing. I know two pastors, this is a true story, I know two pastors serving in the same town, both doing porta church for years. You know, everything sits during the week in a trailer and then on Sunday they go to the elementary school gym or, or, or somewhere else. They set it up, the speakers and the lights and the everything, and, and then they have church and then at the end of this, they take it all down. Some of you have been to a church like that. 
it gets exhausting after a while. So, so, so they were both, Lord, I, I don't think that you're going to answer a selfish prayer because it's just coming from a place of, Lord, I'm tired and I don't want to do this anymore. So they entered into a deal, a covenant. He one said, okay, I'm going to pray for you that God would give you a building. That way it's not selfish. I just, I just want what's good for you. I'm praying that God will give you a building. You pray for me that God will give me a building. <laughs> yeah, because God will never find out that that's what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but when we love and serve each other, when we pray and, and, and are prayed for, when you esteem me higher than you and I esteem you higher than me, that's koinonia. That's, that's the church. That's beautiful. I'm praying for you, Paul says, all through this letter. I'm praying for you. And then at the end, he says, how about you pray for me? We're not in the same place, but we're still, we're still the same family. And one of the best, most important ways we get to be family is to pray for each other intentionally with organization and dedication and specificity. What does that look like? Is where I gotta be careful. Because <laughs> I can't be prescriptive. If I start telling you what your prayer life needs to look like, that, that, that is legalism. But I can be descriptive. You know, talked about lists. I, I, a lot of people I know who are diligent in prayer have, have prayer journals, prayer lists, prayer rosters. More than just a list of names, but, you know, a name and, and here's a current concern or a request, something that they were asked to pray for, something that they observed or heard about. And, you know, and you keep going for a while, you have, okay, that prayer was answered. And this is how God answered it. And here's the, here's the next prayer. What do you do with, with, with your list? Some people schedule them out. I know one pastor who schedules it out. <laughs> he, he, he literally, I mean, not, not exactly like this, but kind of like this, where we're called to pray for our leaders. So on Monday, he prays for the president and the executive branch. And on Tuesday, he prays for Congress. And on Wednesday, he prays for the courts. And on Thursday, he prays for state government. And on Friday, he prays for local government. And, and I mean, I'm serious. And then, and then we're called to pray for the persecuted church. So on Monday, he's got certain ministries that he prays for, Voice of the Martyrs and, and others. And then on Tuesday, he's got certain countries that he prays for. And then on Wednesday, he's got certain individuals in certain countries, certain pastors that he prays for. And Okay, I'm not nearly that organized. <laughs> I mean, I do that a little. I do that a little. What I also do, what I do more, is, is what I call the bump cap model. Bump cap hard hat some of you wear it at work every day. I, once upon a time, I'm, I'm, I'm on a factory floor with a friend of mine, and we're walking around, and he's showing me where he works, and uh, we've got whites on, and we've got a bump cap on, and we've got ear and, ears and eyes on. We, we, we go out, we go to the locker room, and we're taking, taking all the protection off, and he takes off his bump cap, and this laminated card slides out of it. I said, what's that? And he says, oh, that's, 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 that's my people. And I looked at it, and I said, this is like 25 people. He said, yeah, those are all the people. He was a shift supervisor. He said, oh, those are all the people that report to me. And he said, not, even, not all of them are, are, are even on this shift. Some of them float. Some of them rotate. He said, so I, 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 I want to make sure that I, I touch each of them, that I have a real conversation with them at least once a week. But it, it's so hard with different shift configurations. So I just, I just keep a list, and, and every week I wipe it clean. But every, every time I have a, a real conversation, a human interaction with someone, I, I just make a, a, a mark on, with the grease pencil, and it gets towards the end of the week. Then I start looking for the people that I haven't happened to run into. And, and I kind of pray like that. I've, I've got a master list, ministries and people in the body and leaders, leaders here, leaders other places, this church, other churches, churches that I've served at, churches that I've, I've done a little ministry alongside. And, 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 and I kind of keep track over the course of a, of a week or two weeks. Hey, who, who have I really prayed for? Not just, you know, the arrow, oh, Lord, you know, Lord bless this person in Jesus' name, amen. But like, who have I really prayed for? Because with me, it works to have some daily flexibility, but also some week-over-week -week accountability. And here's what you got to fight. When you start to pray, when you really lean into this, maybe you've already found this, condemnation creeps in. Because the more you pray, the more Satan is going to talk to you about all the people and places and things you're not praying for. 
Oh, you're, so you're praying for the church in New Jersey. So churches in New York aren't important. Churches in New Hampshire aren't important. Churches in New Mexico aren't important. Churches in states that don't begin with new aren't important. <laughs> and you're praying for pastors that you know. So, so you're, you're a respecter of persons now. And it's only the people that you know that you pray for. You don't, you don't pray for people that you don't know. And, and, and pretty soon, okay, I can't pray for anyone or everyone, so I'm not going to pray for anyone because it's just... That's when I have to remember to breathe. Another nugget from, from the conference yesterday, Pastor Joe gave us this quote. He said, we can't help everybody, but we can help a few. And it's those few that we're held accountable for. That's Franklin Graham. Let me paraphrase it. We can't pray for everybody, but we can pray for a few, and it's those few that we're held accountable for. Who's the Lord leading you to pray for? You, you won't really know until you start to pray. And even then, it's an approximation, and every time you really sit down to pray, God will add some people, and, and he'll also give you permission to release some people. But as we pray, the people that we're praying for, God will bless them. And he will minister power in their lives. And the good works that he prepared beforehand that, he sh that they should walk in them, they will be fulfilled in a greater way because we pray. Pray for us, brethren. Pray for me. I gotta, I gotta practice what I preach. Pray for, for, for me and the other church leaders as we navigate reopening. You read the same headlines I do. Okay, there's an uptick in, in COVID cases around the country, but what does that mean? What does it mean for us? And as we reopen, the ministries that, that have been you know, some, somewhat dormant, Lord, do you, do you have those ministries to be the, the same as they were, or, or is this a new season? Do you want to do a new work? Are there ministries that we've been, we've been persevering, trying to keep going, that, that you would just as soon put on a shelf for a while? And you pray that we would know and, and do God's will with regard to ministries. Pray for my family. Ann and I are taking a long weekend next week, and that's why Josh is teaching. We're, we're a little crispy. <laughs> it's been a season, so pray that we would be refreshed, not, not just physically, but not not physically, but also spiritually. Pray for my daughter, who is theoretically going to college in the fall, but her college keeps changing the schedule because, because of the Rona. <laughs> and, and I don't think that that's God telling us, okay, she's not really supposed to go. I think it's just, you know, life happening. But, but pray that we would, we would persevere there. Pray for relationships. There's some people who, who left the church a while ago that are still hurt and... and, and hurt people hurt people and are, are lashing out. And, and, and man, that's, that's life in a fallen world. And, man, how to, how, to, how to traverse the balance between not wanting to be hardened and not wanting to be vengeful, not wanting to answer pain with pain, but, but you know, how, how do you love? Do you love? Is it the right time to love? Is, is it the right time to sit back and just pray that, that God would speak where, where our words might fail? I know I won't know the answer to that without prayer. And, and so I'd covet yours. That's me. And I'll try to do a better job of, of being real and give you an answer like that the next time you ask instead of the Jesus juke. I hope you'll do the same when people ask you. And I hope that you'll ask other people. I hope that you'll ask people, hey, how can I pray for you? And I hope that you'll ask people, would you pray for me? Cultivate a prayer team for, for you, for your family, of people who are willing to commit to consistently, specifically praying for what's going on in your life and in your ministry. I think we've only begun to begin to see what the Lord wants to do. And if we want to see more, I think it's prayer that, that's going to open the door, that's going to unlock God's promises for us.
Let people pray for you. Ask people to pray for you. That's what Paul is inviting us to do this morning. Bless people with the privilege of unlocking God's power in your life. Let people love you. Lord, thank you for loving us. And thank you for your love that makes everything that we've talked about possible and relevant. Because we were strangers, alienated from you. Our prayers fell on the ground. They bounced off the ceiling until your son made a way, reconciled our relationship. That our prayers to you today are indistinguishable from Jesus' own. That Jesus even mediates our prayers, takes them and forms them and, and brings them to you as if he himself had prayed them perfectly. Lord, thank you that we stand today before a prayer hearing, prayer answering God. And we ask for our families, for our friends, for the prodigals in our lives, for our ministries, for your church, for our leaders, for Jerusalem, for the prisoners, for the persecuted. Lord, would you show yourself strong? And we pray, Lord, would you bring revival to our land? Would you heal our nation? In Jesus' name.